Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. The season starts today. Clipsal, which is always going to be the toughest wall, I reckon, one of the toughest races of the year. Junior returns home. And could Clipsal become the first of the South Australian races in the championship? That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Here is the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. Jamie Wincup has re-signed a one-year deal with Red Bull Racing. The five-time champion is the favourite to go on and win his sixth this year. And ahead of Clipsal, he's secured his 2015 season. Jonathan Webb talked about how much of a difference the money from the new TV deal will help the teams from 2015 on. Look, I think hopefully Channel 7 keep pushing it this year. We've been with them for a long time. I think V8s have done the right thing by Channel 7 the whole way through. Hopefully they keep supporting what we're doing and pushing our sport. But definitely some, some exciting things to come with next year with, with Tan and Foxtel. And you know, obviously the, the dollars are a lot better than where we've been the last couple of years. With what James has been able to do with the whole category, I, I think next year's going to be a great year. We've just got to hang on this year and do the best we can with, uh, with what we've got. Oliver Gavin, who tested with HRT in Sydney, has now been confirmed as Nick Perkett's co-driver for the Endurance Cup. Meanwhile... Perkat's HHA car, along with his Walkinshaw performance teammate Tim Slade's super cheap auto racing cars, were both unveiled ahead of the Clipsal 500 this weekend. David Wall has made the change from BJR to DJR. And there's been a few other big changes in the Wall household over the Christmas break. Uh, yes and no. Um, my wife and I are expecting our, um, our next children, as it turned out to be. We just had twin, twin girls, so um, we, were, we were busy in a different way, if you like. Didn't go anywhere, spent, spent at home and uh, spent a fair bit of time with my little boy. Uh, he obviously misses out a little bit while we're uh, away racing and enjoying ourselves, so I uh, spent a fair bit of time with him, making sure he gets a bit of um, bit of time with his dad. Stephen Johnson has announced that after last year working with Erebus Motorsport for the Endurance Cup, he'll be driving this season with DJR, teaming up with David Wall. Also at DJR, Andre Heimgardner was announced as the development driver. We caught up with him in Sydney. Um, it's really good. You know, this team is one of the teams that are on the up. You know, they've struggled for a few years, but um, the team and I feel that um, we are, the team will go places in the next few years. So it's good to get on board, and also it, it sort of adds a bit of security to my future as well. Obviously, it's nothing for sure, but um, it obviously gives me a direction rather than going into the future with no idea what's happening. Tony Dalberto was doing everything in his power to get his own car on the racetrack this year. 
But this week it was announced that he would be driving with Tim Slade in the super cheap autos car for the Endurance Cup. Tim explained how hard the team had worked trying to keep their wreck alive. Yeah, very, very frustrating time and uh, not, not a pleasurable one, that's for sure. It's been a lot of work and uh, we, we haven't really been rewarded for that time yet. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's still an opportunity there and we'll keep going, uh, but it is getting slimmer by the day. It, deemed, it did seem funny to a lot of us who knew you were working on trying to get a deal. The V8 so emphatically came out and said it's going to be 25 this year and it seemed like they drew a line in the sand. Not really, not, not when you know the ins and outs of it all. Um, you know, there's a lot happens behind the scenes and my dad uh, has been talking with James Warburton uh, very regularly so that had to get out there for certain reasons and um, you know before the test day and uh, you know if we got back on the grid there's, there's no reason why uh, V8 supercars would object to that. Obviously with your own wreck it's been handed back now and you've got to wait to hear on what whether V8s buy it or another owner buys it? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure what the ins and outs of it are because um, as far as I know, if we, we come up with a, a budget to run or an opportunity to run, then we we can use our licence. Mm, obviously, it's going to be with a team that is also cut back because you need to have a car almost ready to go. Yeah, I mean, the only opportunity for us would be with Techno. Um, they've got a two-car operation there, basically, and they're only one, running one car. So, you know, we'd fit in there pretty well and uh, drive Jono's car from last year. Um, so it's sitting there ready, ready to go. Um, it's just we've, we've got to make the decision whether we want to uh, do it or not. And it's just largely um, just depends on funding. Knowing about the TV deal next year, and obviously James is working on a major sponsor, he's working on a whole lot of other things in the yeah. background that will help revenue for teams. Is that in the back of your mind that you're getting out the year before it's supposed to come good again? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James is doing an excellent job behind the scenes and uh, we can see that already ha- um, coming to fruition and um, he's a great guy that he's putting his heart and soul into the to the category. But, uh, you know, it's not our intention not to be on the grid this year. We, I think things will get better in, in 2015 and um, regardless of that, we'd, we'd like to be on the grid. If we had funding, we had a major sponsor, uh, we'd be on the grid and uh, that's that's the facts of it. Still got a lot of support from my previous sponsors. Uh, they're pushing all their little avenues in the background trying to get me on the grid, but um, it's not happening yet. <laughs> Stephen Richards might not have got a lapse at the test day in Sydney, but he's not concerned about making the change to Red Bull. I, uh, I went out for four, four or five laps just when the track was drying. We were on wet tyres, so you can't really gauge too much from that other than other than look at the car and sit in it and work out where the where the buttons are and how the gearbox works. So yeah, you know, all, all all good. But you know, we'll get plenty of time throughout the year to have a have a burn around that. So. Importantly, seating position wasn't uncomfortable. Nothing was pinching the wrong places. No, I guess the good good thing about Craig and I, we're we're pretty similar in in uh, height and weight and width. So no, no problem. So it's just slide straight into his seat. When's the next test for you? Uh, not, not sure to be honest. Yeah, we haven't got that far down the road. I think the boys are just focused now on on making a making a fist out of this day and getting through all the things that they need to. And then um, you know, the, the the enduro drives aren't for a while away, so I'll, I won't be weighing too heavily on their minds. What have you noticed about the difference in the way the team goes about its business? Oh, look, I mean they're they're a, they're a pro team, like like most of the big teams down pit lane. So, I mean, I haven't haven't had enough exposure to to make a call but clearly they 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 do a pretty good job 
through the success that they've had on track. So, um, yeah, they look like a pretty efficient team. Everyone's got their got their role, and um, you know, they, they they've, they've done it well. Ford Performance Racing have announced that the dude. Paul Morris will be joining Chaz Mostert as Mostert moves to the Pexiax crew. Erebus V8 has announced a two-race deal with Benko Home Appliances for Will Davison in the number 9 Mercedes. The team thrilled that their associate sponsor has taken the step up at the start of the season for the first two races, that being Adelaide and the Grand Prix. The team is still working furiously to get both of the AMG customer Mercedes up and running fully sponsored for season 2014. Finally, VADX magazine is on sale now with a Clipsal event preview and the history of the V8s at Clipsal and the Adelaide Grand Prix races, as well as a new columnist, Gary Rogers, joining the team. And what happened to the tracks the V8 calendar forgot? It's on sale now, in stores, online, and check out the great new VADX app. It's at vadex.com.au. On this week's roundtable, Adrian Mussolino and Richard Crail look at the first race of the championship in Adelaide. And also, what about a proposed second race in South Australia? That's the news on the V8 Insiders, brought to you by No Brack Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrack.com.au. That's N-O-B-R-A-C.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining me this week from VADX Magazine, it's Adrian Mussolino. Good evening, Adrian. Hey, Craig. How are you? I'm going great guns, thanks, Adrian, as I'm sure the V8 Media Association Commentator of the Year in 2012 and 13, Richard Crowell, is also doing fine ahead of, well, your home race, Richard. Uh, it is. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Craig. G'day, Adrian, as well. And, uh, yeah, it's always good when Clipsal 500 rolls around. You know the season's really about to kick off and uh, things start getting exciting. We can put all the rubbish of the off-season behind us and actually get down to uh, talking about cars going round and round a racetrack. Well, it, you'd think silly season would be over, Adrian, but we are hearing stories that our South Australia might be primed for two V8 supercar races in the future, going back to, uh, well, I wouldn't say the good old days when you had Malala and, of course, Clipsal, but you did have uh, pre-race qualifying at Malala. Yeah, it's a big topic here in Adelaide at the moment, um, an election topic. There's an election coming up in late March, I think, and I've thrown into the mix the idea of a potential race at Salem Bend facility, which is being proposed, and it's an interesting one because, you know, obviously Clipsal is such 
best and it encompasses so much of the city. Uh, it, it'll be fascinating to see whether there's a momentum behind the second event. Obviously, permanent facilities are passing sense of funding and they need government support. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, I don't know how it would affect the Crystal 500, if it will at all. I think that event can stand on its own two feet and it might actually work well as a sort of secondary option in South Australia. I'm interested, Richard, because Tail and Bend I drove through when I was going to Adelaide uh, most recently and it didn't have a lot of infrastructure there. When you Google map the area, the, there doesn't seem to be a permanent racetrack or anything that looks like even the gestation of a permanent racetrack there. It's further from Adelaide than Malala. Do we need two permanent racing facilities an hour, hour and a half out of Adelaide? Well, yeah, yeah, we do, to be brutally honest, absolutely. Um, Malala is booked 350 days a year, I think was the last figure I got quoted when I'd lost the owner out there, Clem Smith. Um, there's certainly a, a need for a facility down south. You've got to remember Adelaide's a very tall and long city, so um, if you draw a straight line between them, they're more than 100 k's apart, the two circuits. So, you know, it would cater very well for the southern side of, of Adelaide's population, but... Palin Bend's really only 55 minutes an hour max away from the city. It, it runs past the southeastern freeway, which is the main thoroughfare to Melbourne. Um, it's another hour and a bit closer to Melbourne than Adelaide is. So for the Victorian-based teams, it's even easier to get to. It's a sort of not even a half a day sort of a journey to come over. And, and it may also encourage fans who might get a bit disgruntled from driving all the way into the city and over the hills or all the way up north to Malala. Um, to come in from um, Mount Gambier and from Bordertown and from, you know, there's, there's a stack of people in that region and sort of the, the western side of Victoria as well. So I actually think it draws from a, a very large base. And for the background, for those that might not know about this Palin Bend facility, it's, it's been developed by um, a group called the Shahin family who own a massive chain of petrol stations and sort of quick service uh, supermarkets that servos throughout South Australia and they're expanding into state as well. Um, big car family, they, they love their motor racing. They bought what was once the old Mitsubishi uh, R&D facility. So Mitsubishi's version of the Lang Lang Proving Ground or Yo Yang's the sport one in Melbourne, um, that's what it used to be. So there's a K and a half of straight line bitumen there, there's some twisty bits. They currently use it for club level sprints and drifting and bits and pieces there, but uh, this, the Shaheen family has bought the facility with a view to building a permanent racetrack. And um, to give you the idea of the scope, some of the talk over here is that um, you know he wants to model on what the kind of circuit that Phillip Island is. He wants it to be a great driver's track. He wants it to be dramatic, exciting, and a real destination racetrack. So if he can pull it off, um, good, good stuff, and that'll be brilliant for South Australian motorsport there. Uh, and, and look, I, I think the state can support the second race. The, the key will be timing. The key will be to slide it in somewhere in sort of that August, September, October, you know, even November bracket. Um, so it's got good separation from Clipsal. Uh If you do that, it'll work fine. Mm. Are you as positive for that idea, Adrian? I am, and I'm actually um, encouraged by something that Vance Supercars is doing at the moment in that it's offering promotion like a two-for-one deal for... Sydney Motorsport Park and Sydney 500 and I think that's the way to go in terms of getting crowds out for these events and supporting the smaller non-marquee events because you know there's all this um, excitement 
around the street surf events, but the reality is it's not for all fans. You know, some fans prefer the Winters of the World or Queensland Raceways or Phillip Islands where you can get a bit closer to the action, you're not stuck behind a fence, there's a bit more, you know, movement, it's easy for families. So I think definitely could support it, as Richard said. It is all about finding, you obviously can't do them back to back. Um, it'd be a good way to sort of start the season at Kitsuan and promote the second event, which, you know, could be around the August, September mark. Mm. Well, a perfect timing to have both the South Australian media experts on the show at the time we have Clipsal. Uh, I can't understand how that could have possibly happened, but uh, Richard, Clipsal 500 this year, we're going to see two races on Saturday, one into the evening, and then, of course, the uh, normal 250-kilometre race on the Sunday. Do we think the change is going to lose any of the luster of the Clipsal 500 because I've always called it the uh, Clipsal 2 250s. Now it's getting even bigger mouthful. It's a Clipsal 2 125s and 250. Yeah, you know, it's probably the number one thing that people who are not necessarily hardcore motorsport fans but enjoy it and go to Clipsal every year, and that's a lot of the population in South Australia, it's, it's been the number one topic of discussion amongst those that know about the sport, about whether that's a good move or not. And I honestly don't know. It, it, at this stage for me, it's too hard to read. And I, I love the idea of running into the twilight because I think night racing on the streets of Adelaide or twilight racing is unbelievably good. Uh, I remember vividly calling some unbelievable Porsche Fur Cup races on Friday nights and even some... DBS stuff the last couple of years. It's just been brilliant and, you know, this is such a tough track and great distance lanes and it really puts on an amazing show. So no dramas with that. I think that's the way the sport will go. Twilight stuff is brilliant. But I'm a bit of a traditionalist. You know, this event is famous for being not just a car breaker but a driver breaker as well. And that 250k distance is right on the ragged edge of what some guys in the past have been able to do in a one-driver race on a on such a demanding physical circuit. So that's my only question. I, I don't want to lose that from the race because it, I think that's Clipsal's unique selling point compared to a Phillip Island or Bathurst or a stand-down. Um, that's what it sort of built its reputation over 16 years on, and I'm worried that we might lose that. Um, there are pros and cons, and I'm sort of sitting on the fence at the moment. I hate to do it, but uh, until we actually see what the reaction is from the punches on Saturday... Um, yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment. Adrian, are you getting splinters as well? Um, no, I'm actually in favour of it. Um, and I know that's not the popular um, support at the moment. Uh, the majority of fans seem to be against it. But I think the reason I like it is at the moment the calendar is moving in, in towards a bit of consistency in terms of that most events we're going to see two events, two races on Saturday, followed by feature race on the Sunday. Now, I think that's what BSD Supercars has desperately needed, that bit of consistency in the calendar. So we can turn up to a non-endurance event and say, we know what race format is going to be. Okay, the, the length of the races might change, but the point is there'll be two races on Saturday, one on the Sunday. And I think that makes it easier to then follow an event winner when there's a main feature race on Sunday, which crown a 500 champion or a 12 Island 400 champion, or whichever event it is. So I like it in that sense. Um, I do agree that the tradition of this has been two 250k races, but I think if it does bring a bit of consistency in the championship calendar, I'm all for that because that's what's really been lacking 
I mean, last year we went to events and, you know, we had to explain to everyone what type of race format it was and there's so much confusion around the super sprint races and all that. It just needs, it needs a bit of sense of mm-hmm. Well, 1999, this race started, Richard, and uh, I, it was easy to follow, even if you couldn't understand it. Cars started both days, even if they didn't finish the first day. The winner on Sunday won the Clipsal 500. Of course, famously, Craig Lowndes did it in his first race for Ford. But now we've got a race on Saturday. Are we going to have a press conference after race one of the championship? How is the winner of the first race of the year going to be rewarded? Because, let's face it, he's going to go back to the garage and he's going to be concentrating on getting that car right for the next race that day. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and that's something that V8s and their logistical people will have to sort out how that all works and how it gets sold to the media as well. Um, the, the thing I like about Clipson, and look, I, I completely agree with what Adrian said about consistency in formats, and it was getting ridiculous last year where we would rock up at a round and didn't know how many races there were going to be. It was, it was confusing, and, and this has been a great thing to clear it up for the public. But I think that Clipsal is big enough in its own right now to stand on its own two feet as one of the one of the four events in the year that can have a different format. So whether you had, um, so you know, Sandown Bass's Gold Coast have their own standalone format, I, I think Clipsal probably warranted, and this is probably the parochial South Australian coming out of me, guys, but probably warranted saying as it was. But, I mean, that's, that's the traditional thing you're talking. The, the thing that gets me about this, though, is that the Saturday at Clipsal never, ever felt like it was a preliminary to anything. So you never, ever sat there going, this is anyway, that this is, our, this is just a warm-up for what we're going to see tomorrow and a feature race on Sunday because it was 250Ks. You got the same amount of points. No, you weren't crowned the Clipsal 500 winner but it was every bit of car breaker and every bit of an enthralling contest as the Sunday race would be. And the crowds, you get 88,000 on the Saturday and 90-odd thousand on Sunday. The crowds reflected that. So I just hate to see that being taken away from the event. But like I said, we're not going to know until we try it this year and see how it all works out. But kudos to V8 for, um, for being a bit creative and for solidifying these schedules. Like Adrian said, I think that's a great point. But it was important that they um, they sorted that out this year, and um, yeah, like I said, we'll see. I'm, I'm on the fence on this one, Craig. I know you hate it when I do that, but uh, that's where it's going to be. Well, the one thing I hope we don't see is we don't see a situation where Todd Kelly gets the trophy to find out that Rick Kelly really should be handed it, as we saw. I can't remember what year now, but you know, it, I hopefully we don't have that confusion. Yeah, but, yeah, but that that was a. Pro- that was the problem with the original format where it was meant to be two two legs for one race and they changed that pretty quickly in that, that first event and then it became points over the event and that's where the confusion with the Kelly's and I think it was 2007. I think that's gone now because we have individual races. So this is race one, two and three in the championship. They're all separate races. Sure, there's an event winner, but... If you win race one, then you get the same points as if you won race two. So um, this is the problem that Supercar has at the moment, is that I think a lot of people are still in round mentality when in the yeah. last few years it's gone to race. And I think they need to do a better job to spell that these are three individual races. Sure, there's an event winner, but that's more for the event itself and that promotion around that. 
than it is for the supercars. In terms of the championship itself, it is three distinct races. Mm. Well, we need. I, I, I can understand the confusion. Yeah, we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Plenty more when we return. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Adrian Mussolino and Richard Kral joining me, Craig Revell. And Adrian, V8X Magazine has got a fantastic preview to this event and also a great look at the history of V8 supercars and touring cars at the Adelaide Parkland and Grand Prix circuits. Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to do a bit of a special edition this year and given that it's the 15th year last year and um, we wanted to look back as well at the support races during the train on three years. So, and that's all in the current edition. It'll actually be on sale at the event um, from the Peter Brock um, Everbilia truck for anyone going. And there's extra copies around Adelaide DVD as well. So look at that one. Mm, of course, Gary Rogers uh, now becoming a columnist in the magazine too after, uh, well... Certainly, years of one of his drivers in Garth Tander having been a columnist for you. Yeah, it's great. We, we signed up Gary. We wanted to hear straight from the horse's mouth about Volvo and their first year in the series. And uh, he's been a great addition, and alongside Mark in the bottom and Mark Lightham as well. So, yeah, we're really happy with our lineup this year. And um, it'll be very interesting what Gary has to say as the year goes on, and we get a true picture of where Volvo's at. Mm. Now, of course, Richard Volvo. Where are they at? Where do you think we're going to see them slotting in? Well, it's tough to get a read on events of the test day, of course, hampered by rain and sort of never really clear picture from testing anyway. But my opinion, it's been pretty consistent on this since, since they announced this program as well. I thought they'd probably unload off the truck better than Nissan and Erebus did this time last year, just from the basis that they're not trying to develop a chassis at the same time as they are the um, the aero and the engines in fact they know what their their base chassis remember car of the future is all the same underneath so last year GRM had a pretty good digger and they were competitive and won some races so they know that within a few percent their setups that they ran at Clipsa last year are probably going to work for what they did this year um, so that's good so they can focus on focus on getting their engine right and focus on getting you know making sure the car works aerodynamically. Um, and trying to avoid the dumbers we saw this in last year. But so to answer the question, I think they'll unload better than Nissan and that did. But it all comes down to what what kind of a job Polestar's done on that very sweet sounding Volvo engine. Of course, it's an all new sixty degree V angle, which makes life uh, different. No one's run that kind of thing before, so it's all new. It's exciting. Um, I, I think they'll be better than where Erebus and, and Nissan were. At, at the start of last season, but will they win races early in the year? No, probably not. Can they be on the podium later in the season? Yeah, I reckon they might be able to. Mm, Adrian, hopefully they can get the overheating issue that plagued them a little bit, well, certainly in the morning of the Sydney official test day. They can get that sorted out quickly because uh, when you've got a 
wet overcast day in an overheating car and you know your first race is at Clipsal, which the weather forecast last time I looked was going to be hot. Yeah, look, those, those problems are to be expected so early in the car's development. You've got to remember that, you know, unlike Formula One, for example, the F2 cars doesn't run much pre-season testing. So there's been very, very limited running on those S60s. There's going to be those feeding problems. But I think, um, it, you know, they should be competitive sort of straight off the bat. I, I think we could see them running consistently, certainly in the top 20, top 15 this weekend and then see where they go throughout the season. As Richard said, they have the chassis understanding now after a year um, last season. So I think they'll be in the mix, definitely. And as the season goes on, that rate of improvement will be um, the thing to look at. Certainly we saw that with Nissan. Um, Despite all their aero question marks and problems there, they definitely came on strong at the latter half of the year and they were consistently in the top 10 and even made a win, who would have thought. So um, there's definitely promise there for Volvo. Mm. Now, Richard, I know you're not an aerodynamicist, but you appreciate aerodynamics through your open-wheel involvement. If mm. Gary Rogers has had to change the amount of air going into the engine as opposed to over the car to fix that overheating problem, that could significantly change the aero testing and the development they've done. Oh, yeah, it could, Craig, but I don't think we're talking massive numbers, though. And, and for all we know, it might be a ducting issue, it might be internal, it might be... It might be stuff we can't see in, in terms of the aperture. From what I could see, the, the grill opening on that car looked pretty much the same size as it is on all the other four brands. So I, I'm not. I, I think, it, like Adrian said, it's probably a little little teething problem more than a fundamental aerodynamic drama that that is causing these stalling issues. Um, and look, I, I think everybody learned a bit from this missing drama and, and the car having too much drag last year. So hopefully they've got the the initial testing better and they've done a better job of that and the car will be more competitive aerodynamically. But they're not going to win races from the first round, but I, I agree with Adrian in that they're, they're going to be more competitive than, than what we've seen from the other new brands to start off. Which also poses another interesting question, is that if, in fact, GRM and Volvo do unload more competitive than where Nissan and Erebus were, where does that put them with Nissan and Erebus? Where are they going to figure in the mix? Can they, in their first year, having waited a year in this Car of the Future program, um, you know, will that give them an advantage? Will they be up there straight away? And if you're Nissan and Erebus, what do you think about that? Because all your years hard work and Volvo just rock in and all of a sudden uh, knocking on your uh, rear bumper bar, that would be uh, a bit galling, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. It is going to be interesting, Adrian, because most people think... Right, Nissan have got a handle on it. They've worked with our supercars to fix some of the uh, inherent errors. And uh, I, I think most people are expecting Nissan to be able to win this year and to definitely be the top of what we now call the three new generation, new manufacturer cars. Yeah, I think that, that seems to be the talk at the moment, that Nissan has fixed all the bugs, if you like, aero-wise, of made engine. Improvements. The irony last year was they thought initially it was an engine problem, but they worked away only then to find out it was really the aero testing that was limiting them. So that was going to probably made further gains on the engine um, because of that. So I think they will be running consistently in the tank. I mean, as Richard said, we can't really do much of the test day because it's a pretty miserable day, but they were all four in the top ten from memory. So that, that's a good sign early. Kelly Racing's always been strong and wet, but I think that shows that how much the Nissan package has improved. So 
you know, I think they can win races consistently. And I think the thing there is it's four strong cars and four strong drivers. Um, so that will only sort of help improve um, the whole team and sort of move them up. And you've got to remember now that they have four cars versus Erebus's two and Volvo's two, so they have a much bigger presence than their drivers. So that would definitely help as well. Richard, we need to go quick fire now. Well, actually, both of we, we need to go quick fire over a couple other big topics. Uh, Junior Johnson back at DJAR, your thoughts? Uh, good. Probably was always going to happen. I think a year away did him well driving with Erebus last year, and I think he did a reasonable job. So, uh, good stuff. It, it makes sense to have him there. And with um, two younger guys driving those cars this year, it, it's very wise to have an experienced head uh, in the co driver's seat when it comes to stand down backers and Gold Coast. Well, talking about an experienced driver, Adrian, going with a young guy. What about Morris joining Mostert for the Endurance Cup? I guess uh, someone facetiously said to me this week, Morris has a history of knocking young drivers around. Is this FPR's way to make sure that uh, Mostert doesn't get beaten up by the dude? Yeah, it's, um, it's one from left field. Um, it definitely is, and I think it's just a lot of people by surprise. The one thing I'd say is, for my um, if you look at his result last year, he's from six and Scott Pye, and he was really the, um, you know, helping a young driver out um, at that event. So maybe FPR saw something in that. Um, good that Morris was doing the Dunlop series, but, yeah, definitely a surprise decision. Oliver Gavin and Tony Dalberto being the two drivers, Richard, at Walkinshaw performance. actually spoke to TD today, actually, Craig, and he's pretty excited about the opportunity uh, Disappointed to not um, not be running full-time, obviously, but uh, if you can't run full-time, jumping into one of four very good uh, Walkinshaw cars is a good option. Um, it's a wise signing, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's one of the fast guys. He's a regular, you know, last year he was top 15 in qualifying, if not better, for a lot of the year, had some strong results in a, a single car, the Walkinshaw affiliated outfit. So, yeah, look, he's a very, very smart signing, but uh, that's not a silly move at all, and and Tim Slade, I think, will be uh, will be very solid come uh, enduro season. I can't believe we're already talking about enduro season, by the way. Yeah, well, one thing we're talking about next, Adrian, is 2015. And Jamie Wincup, the five-time champion, the man that most people think will be the six-time champion at the end of this year, he's locked in for one year at Red Bull. It'll make 10 years at the team. And do you think he's decided that, gee, some of these other cars are looking quick maybe I'm going to keep my options open in case I need to make a change. Yeah, to re-sign for one year, considering his previous deals have been over multiple years, is that's going to raise a few eyebrows, and I think that will be a big talking point track this season about where Jamie's at in terms of his future overseas and other manufacturers on the team. I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of intrigue in that one-year deal. Well, guys, I'm looking forward to catching up with you both at Clipsal. It's not far away now, and uh, thank you once again. Richard Crail for joining us on the show. Thanks, boys. It's uh, going to be a big weekend ahead. And a not-so-subliminal message, if you can't get to Clipsal, get VRDX magazine, Adrian. Yes, you said it in one. Um, yep, thanks for running. The white flag lap with the second part of our Rod Nash interview is up next here on the VAD Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing V8 supercars. 
showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. This week on the Y-Flag Lab brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we continue our chat with FPR co-owner Rod Nash. In part two of the interview, we find out his views on driver development and the Dunlop series. Now, you talk about the development series, and of course, uh, your number two driver in the Pepsi Max team is Chad Mossett, who came through that school. How do you bring the next Chad Mossett into the program? Yeah, well, that's where Cam Waters uh, comes into it. So I think Tim, Tim, um, you know, uh, I mean, I've always been in industry a big uh, supporter of uh, traineeships, and I don't think we do enough of it as a category. So I, I support the likes of Tim Edwards, and Roland's done the same, where they bring people in and just groom them into the role. So you've got the, uh, the DVS program run properly with support from the mothership, uh, puts them in a competitive car, uh, you know, using engineers to, from the from the mothership to help them along, and then of course, <coughs> um, as what Chaz is, uh, what's happened for Chaz this year, he's earned his position, and he's in car number six. Uh, he's got a lot of pressure on him, but you know, when you look at the foundation of where he's come from, he's literally been groomed for it. And I think uh, in any industry, um, you know, um, no substitute for that proper training, but ground and. Um, nothing's new to him he'll just step into that role again got a lot of pressure on him because he's in a factory car and nothing shabby about being um sitting next to uh, frosty but you know um he, he's he, he's this is his opportunity his golden opportunity but certainly it's a <clears throat> it's a good demonstration what happens when the right training processes are put in place so cam waters is our next um model um so uh I'm sure Tim will have his plans, what he does with him, but I'd suggest it's probably going to be along the same lines as uh, as what happened with Chaz. And, of course, uh, on the Ford side of things, you've still got some support going in there to Dick Johnson Racing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's good. You know, look, it's no secret that DJs have had their, um, you know, commercial issues and everything else, but, you know, ourselves as a, with my, my category hat on, I mean, DJR is an institutional name, you know. Um, you know, Dick's one of the still long-standing greats there in the sport. <clears throat> so, you know, um, as a category, we, we want to support that. I mean, that's branding, you know, and branding's everything in, in modern day. So um, it's good from our perspective at FBR and with what Tim's done is that they set up a, um, a relationship, a commercial relationship last year. <clears throat> and I felt that... Um, we supported that team. Um, I mean, they paid for what they got, um, and uh, you know, along the way, we we helped them with different terms and everything else. But I, I, I like the fact that uh, we were able to assist there, and uh, and you know, even with the driver thing with Chaz, what what helped them that helps them build that base to be able to get out there and sell that commerciality of their of their sponsorships and everything else. So um, I think it's a it's a good example of how teams even though they're in hot competition between each other <coughs> from from the uh, category point of view um, you can still pull together and, and help along the way how how much difference is it between you team owners since James Warburton's taken taken a very firm grip 
of the, those commercial side. He locked in immediately, locked in uh, race dates and and uh, races that were looking iffy with the governments. He then got the TV deal up, and now he's looking for a, a major sponsor. James has done an outstanding job. I mean, he's been here for six months, and he's basically taken our platform, which he always said when he come in, you've got a you've got a great product here. <clears throat> but as we all know, the the um, the management side was not right. But it's fair to say that that in my you know, from, given that you know, I've been around for a decade and a half, I've never thought that um, the teams and the mothership had been connected. Um, I, I always felt, even with um, when we uh, got rid of Tiger and we brought the teams in, in under the V8 supercar um, heading, I still don't believe that. I think we were running two businesses. So the teams were running the operational business and the V8 supercar lot were running you know, the, the management and the promotional side of things, but still being disconnected. Um, so when, when Project Tazio come through and the Archer Group come in, <clears throat> I still don't think we got that right. So James has come in and um, basically um, done a, a fantastic job in that department. Now, it's happened by a little bit of default by the success he's been, uh, you know, getting it all back together and doing TV deals like he does and, and everything else. But, you know, his team have been very focused on having a finger on the pulse with the teams. And, uh, and you know, and, and we've found as teams that they're very approachable and they look for solutions. They, they're, they're not just giving you the lip service and the chat. They're working with us with, uh, with real outcome solutions. And, and, again, like I said before, within what I've seen happen in six months, <coughs> um, it's been a huge success story and great laying of the, um, the next foundation for the next direction that V8s are going to. So... Yeah, and no, I'm very supportive of it, and it's been a long time coming, but I think we've finally nailed that bit now where the teams uh, are now part of the operation, and uh, there's still further work to do there, but I think we're very much part of the same operation now, and there isn't the us and then syndrome in there anymore. Do you think now we've got three visits to Sydney, the next logical step is when a wreck gets, or when wrecks get sold, you need to have a Sydney-based team? Look, I mean, there's all sorts of synergies that I think you're going to see roll out in the next couple of years um, around that sort of uh, basis um, because uh, I think having representation um, uh, in uh, geographical areas with uh, tourism and everything else. I mean, we've seen it over in Abu Dhabi. I mean, Abu Dhabi wanted us there because they're building tourism for when the black stuff runs out. So um, we, we should be doing the same so in geographical locations that you know you can have uh, you know an actual team representing under some kind of um, format I think it's very strong on um, on how you can you know twist what we do and uh, and then you know you, you, you get that localized branding Townsville was probably a good example of that except the Townsville thing never emerged of having a, an actual represented team but that was how Townsville started um, and uh, I think there's plenty of scope in the future for um, you know something like that to, to happen for sure. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Of course, I didn't even get to talk to you about your baby, which is the Bottolo car. Yeah, absolutely. And it is the baby. I mean, <clears throat> um, you know, um, uh, Dave's out there. We've been working with Dave because, um, you know, I think uh, the Gold, Gold Coast example <clears throat> last year 
you know, he made it look easy. And the Gold Coast, around that street circuit's definitely one of the hardest races. So to stick it on pole and then to bring it home in the way he did, um, you know, he's a bloody good teaser. Um, the problem for him, though, is that he's teasing us but showing us that he has the ability. Bathurst again this year. He's probably had a... Uh, we had a few team issues that let him down, but he arrived at the end of the race on the back of the pack and he was showing that he could have... Um, I mean, you know, unfortunately he ran out of fuel. For, um, uh, no thanks to us in the pits, uh, uh, not adding one plus one... not knowing what one plus one equals, but at the end of the day, he just showed again and off the back of his year before where he nearly won it. Um, you know, uh, I think we got, you know, good driver... You know, the whole Bottolo um, package there is strong. They're working hard on what they do. So, you know, um, we've got a bit twisted gold into the car this year, which uh, I thought we might have been going a little bit uh, girlish there, but the the green the green's going nicely with the gold. So, yeah, look, um, you know, I think it's it's going well. But, look, at the end of the day, it's an FBR car, and, um, and uh, that's part of that business modelling I was talking about that, I made those decisions years ago, and um, and I think uh, you know 55 will will be up there, cranking like the uh, at the two factory cars are doing as well. Well, I always said to Dave when you bought the uh, rest of the FPR operation that he must be the number one driver because uh, that's obviously the one that you had first. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, look, um, um, uh, you know, it, it's I, I I'd be. I'd be lying if I said I didn't have the soft spot for the for the 55 car, but it's it's only because that's my base, you know. And I'm quite proud of, uh, of at the time having the opportunity back in '97, '98 when when I got sick of the the um, the speedway stuff um, and uh, come in and um, you know I've just been part of that that um, that drive all the way through. So I mean that's my base. So naturally, you know, you're always going to um, have a, a soft spot for it, but. Again, you know, we're running a four-car team, and it's big business these days. So, uh, even with Jack joining us through the uh, through Charlie's, uh, you know, job in car, I mean, you know, I've known Larry for a lot of years, and uh, I've seen Jack grow up, and I think it's uh, I'm I'm just as proud for for Jack to, for us collectively to be given the opportunity, and and Jack's pretty pretty chuffed about having the opportunity as well. So, I think we've we've had a bit of a changing of the guard with. Chaz replacing Will and um, and then obviously Charlie having a, a replacement as well with Jack but I think we've got a good bunch of guys um, good bunch of characters um, and um, I think we're freshened up to you know give it a big uh, big hit for 14. That's all we have time for on this week's show as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.